Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Big thank you to Podcast Mike for all the incredible work he does. Booking guests, editing episodes, making this podcast happen. If you would like it to continue to happen, uh, patreon.com slash philosophy is the place to go. You can contribute for as little as one US dollar per month. Uh, we've had a bit of a, a dip in the Patreon subscribers and I understand that. This is tough times for everybody, but... Uh, uh, yeah, we've had um, a few people choose not to uh, to resubscribe, so we're always on the look for new subscribers. So if you are in a position to be able to support the show, and uh, you haven't been previously, uh, now is a good time to join on up and make sure that we can keep getting out episodes at least one per week, um, often uh, two episodes per week. And this episode today is an example of that. Uh, Hayden Dando, not a name that you will uh, necessarily know. Um, not a celebrity guest in that sense. Actually, somebody who we tell the story of why he's on the podcast uh, during the podcast. So if you do not want it spoiled, because uh, we do save it for the end, you can skip past this part and come back and uh, check on it later. But for everybody else, uh, this is an episode that uh, last year for the ASRC, the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, as part of a fundraiser, a telethon they do, we auctioned off the right to be a guest on this very show, Philosophy, and Hayden was the highest bidder, all the money, of course, going to the Asylum Seeker Resource Center, who need it more than ever for the incredible work that they do. Um, we wanted to do it in person to make it, you know, worthwhile. And unfortunately, you know, 2020 happened and it made it hard for us to, you know, actually get in the same room safely together and do this show. So it's taken a year and I know it's a year because this weekend uh, is the ASRC Telethon for 2021. And I am going to put up a new uh, auction item. It's only going to be up there for a couple of days. So if you're hearing this and you think this is the sort of thing that you have the funds to contribute, maybe you wanted to contribute to the ASRC anyway, maybe you've always wanted to appear on an episode of Philosophy, you can bid uh, at the ASRC website for their telethon that will be up. Uh, hopefully by the time that this episode is up. This is all very last minute because obviously I didn't want to put it up as an auction item if I hadn't even got to last year's one. Well, we've got to last year's one. You can have a listen to how it might sound if you would like to bid on the auction item. And uh, yeah, I would highly recommend that you do that. It was really fun to sit down with Hayden and uh, hear about his life and um, you know have an opportunity to get his perspective on what this is all about and the journeys that he has been on. So I think you're going to really enjoy this episode of the show, I'm doing some live shows. Um, I appreciate everybody who's buying tickets to my live show. July 3rd, What You Talking About, Will, my completely improvised stand-up show is happening at the Enmore in Sydney. Brilliant venue, the Enmore. I've never done the show in a venue that size. In fact, we've already sold the most tickets to a one-off one of these shows that we ever have. So it's going to be the most people in the room that I've ever done my improvised show in front of. But... I'd love to sell it out. So if you would like to come along and be part of what I imagine is going to be a very fun night, you can do that July 3rd at the Enmore, my only big Sydney show for 2021. Uh, Brisbane coming your way as well on the Sunday, July the 4th, doing two shows in Brisbane because the first one sold out on pre-sale. So we added a a second show for people. So uh, both on the Sunday, uh, one at five o'clock is already sold out. One at 7.30 is still on a sale at the moment, it's about half sold out already, though. So if you do want to come to that, maybe you're going to come to something I've heard from some people are going to come to both shows. They are different shows, so you can come to both shows if that's your, if that's your thing. Um, only big Brisbane shows for 2021. I am in Corumbin in Queensland, but that will probably be sold out by the time 
that you are hearing this and there's probably going to be a couple of other random gigs that I do during the year, but there's not going to be a lot of other stuff. So Sydney and Brisbane in particular, if you want to come out and see me do a show July 3rd and July 4th are the times that I'm going to be doing it. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm sure podcast Mike does a much better job of interview, uh, introducing the episodes than I do. Does not ramble anywhere near as much. I have some other podcasts, Tofop, Fofop, and an AFL adjacent podcast called Two Guys, One Cup. You can find them all at tofop.com plus all James Fosdyke's original artwork and all the incredible stuff he does for our shows so uh nice to talk to you again sorry that i've been away uh life has been a little hectic for a whole bunch of reasons and uh it's been basically the minimum the maximum i can do the the amount that i can do has been making the shows and i thank podcast mike sincerely for uh, actually getting the shows up and making sure they have intros and all those sort of things so i don't know when i will be back Um, But in the meantime, you can listen to my chat with Hayden. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. And well, this is a bit of a special episode of Philosophy, I've got to say. I am... This one's been a long time in the making. There are some that are a long time in the making and there are some that I am still working on. Hannah Gadsby, if you're listening in this afternoon, I would love to at some stage have you on this show. I think we've tried about two or three times. It's going to happen at some stage. But this one has been a year in the making and... uh, It has an unusual backstory, and I've been really fascinated to have this conversation. We were meant to have it in person. I wanted to have it in person, and then 2020 happened, and then turns out 2020 had a little lag into 2021, but we've made it happen, and it's happening today. Uh, My guest is here. We are face-to-face, so I can ask this question. Who are you? G'day, Will. My name's Hayden Dando, and I'm a perfusionist. Okay, so I have some idea what that is but really let's for the sake of the podcast and the audience and everybody else assume that i have no idea what that is what is, what is that sure so as a perfusionist it's um my job to uh use all kinds of kit pumps bits of tubing various things to take over a patient's circulation while patients have heart surgery um and um there's a few people that know kind of who we are and what we are but very rarely when you say i'm a perfusionist do you get anything other than sorry what like what's that what do we do what is it it does and, feel like you've just mispronounced confusionist which uh, again i don't know what what it, that is either but we're, we get all sorts like you ask a perfusionist like what they are on their car insurance or what they are and, they, and it can be percussionist perfumerist <laughs> like any number of various things but um perfusionist does is, you know when you do those lists on the drop down yeah. lists on on computers that never comes up you know it's all healthcare or health scientist or some version of that and and so um yeah there's a there's a lot of confusion there's not many of us it's about 140 of us in australia new zealand okay so Um, a good way to find out what it is is to tell the story of how you became it like (laughs) you know like because it's not something as you said that they offer out at high school career sessions you know we've run out of carpenters but we've still got perfusionists if if anybody's yeah no it's true i mean i i came to it through musical theater i don't uh, i'll tell the story but i I left school (laughs) when i was like 16 17 18 uh supposed to be studying for a levels from the i was in the uk at the time uh supposed to be studying for a levels 
discovered, um, I guess, beer and, 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 and women to a certain extent and um, ended up kind of actually found myself in a lot of ways uh, in musical theatre all around school and, and uh, various groups that I was got involved with. Um, and my parents love them, kind of let me run with it for a little bit. I was never going to make money out of it. None of us were. We just did it because it was fun uh-huh. and because we loved it and because we enjoyed it. It's what we wanted to do. When I got to kind of 19, 20, it was starting to be time to kind of work out what I was going to do and, mm-hmm. and, and decide. All the way through my teens, it was all about medicine and healthcare and that was what it was supposed to happen. But, you know, as I say, it didn't quite mm-hmm. go that way. Um, and then uh, went and worked at the place my mum was working at. She's a theatre nurse um, for summer because I needed some money and it was just the right thing to do. And uh, discovered over there what's called an ODA. It's like an anaesthetic tech position and so I did that and then um, a couple of years later uh, cardiac surgery was moving to the hospital that I was going to be at and it was suggested that I go look um, at what this role was this perfusionist thing that that we'd heard of but didn't really know what it was and I, I traveled to go see it walked into the operating room at Papworth Hospital in the UK one of the famous transplant centers um, and went yeah this is for me this is what I want to do and um, and I saw it and then from there trained in Papworth came to Australia in 2000 worked in various hospitals, um, and then um, uh, a little while ago now set up a, a company and a group of us now that um, provide those services to hospitals um, rather than be employed by the hospitals. Okay, so it means the – because my initial question when I hear there's like 140, I'm like, well, there's more hospitals than that. I'm like, do they not all need one or just there's not those other hospitals that are doing this sort of technique so therefore they don't need somebody in that scenario? Or is it, I guess, the extrapolation of the idea that if you're a company, you can then do more because you can... I don't know. You, you yeah, explain yeah, to no, me. So for sure. So perfusionists generally are in cardiac surgical centres yeah. and so they are limited compared to hospitals. Not everywhere, not every hospital has a cardiac surgery service. Right. And so they're limited and tied to um, to cardiac surgical centres. Um, and then... So if I have, like, if I'm in need of cardiac surgery, I generally have to go to some sort of specialist place. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Right. So there's only certain hospitals that do it. You, you'll, be, you'll be treated if you need it in a hurry. You'll be treated in a way, but then transferred yeah. to somewhere that needs that has that. That knows what they're doing. They'll give you the it. basic version to keep you alive until the experts can step in. Yeah, they'll okay. look after you until... And Australia's really good at that. They're good at moving people who are sick because mm-hmm. they have to be, given the geography, and that's what happens. And there's uh, a lot of work that goes into that. And you'll be transferred and looked after in one of those hospitals that, that can provide that surgery that you need. And not all of it is in a hurry. Um, so some of it is is very much planned and very much kind of um, you know managed, um, and you get to choose your surgeon, you get to choose your hospital, like any other specialist surgery that you would go to. Um, but then other stuff is um, if you're in extreme, if there's kind of emergency stuff, then either you'll be taken if you're in the city, you'll be taken specifically to those hospitals that can help you, or you'll be transferred from that. Um, and so um, the um, process is very well managed but in terms of you know the number it's all about i guess where that where that surgery is offered and, that, and that's where kind of perfusion sits and, and, and fits in um and because of what we get involved if we get involved with different areas part of what we do now is to is to salvage blood that would normally be lost to patients during surgery that we process and give back so they don't get someone else's blood and we took that away from um, specifically some hospitals will do it themselves but now we took that out of the hospital and offered it 
into basically anyone having surgery in New South Wales now can have this if they choose to can have this have their own blood have their own blood salvage and that's it's a related kind of discipline and because of what we do means we can we can kind of offer that very easily within that um and so uh, it's kind of all about blood and all about pumping blood one way or another Okay, so I love that you're one of the very few people in musical theatre who decided at some stage, I want to play smaller theatres. Yeah, some yeah. Of opera, different, different kind of operating theatre for sure. Exactly. Um, although there's lessons, there's a lot of lessons between that, a lot of stuff Tell that me, comes from that. Are, are there genuinely lessons between? Because if there are, I would love to hear what they are. No, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of, um, I, I guess, active listening. The, the It's one of the things we practice when you look at improv is you, it, it's very specifically about mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It's very specifically about having to be really in that moment listening taking note and actually being present um, in that moment and then being able to deal with it kind of no different to what we do because there's a lot of intangibles that happen um, to a certain extent within that it's it there's a lot of um, art or feel to it to, to what we do it's not all science it's not all uh-huh. kind of done there's a lot of stuff that's about I guess uh, I mean I'm I guess I don't know exactly what it's like, but for for you in front of an audience, you feel what it's like as it's happening. You kind of get a sense of sure. what's going on, and that be it a big group or a small group, you still get a sense of what's happening and a feel for that. Right, and also you know, I, I like one of like the great. And look, there are limitations to any healthcare system. I absolutely understand that. And I'm grateful for the one we have. I understand that it could, a bunch of things we could do better. But one of the hardest things of all is that human beings are not all the same. And the idea of whatever experience we need, both physically, mentally, and the combination of the two when it comes to medicine, often it's not that the technique is wrong. Like, you know, two doctors can have the same technique or the same training, but one can be more intuitive to the patient's needs, right? That's For sure. Like, you know, Absolutely. and that's where often that communication can break down. Why one person thinks someone's a good doctor and somebody else doesn't is because not because of their medical knowledge is about the implementation of how they relate to another human being. It's fit. It's it's yeah. that relationship. It's a relationship with any with any human being that you've got to have that creates that rapport that means that something's going to work or not work. Mm. Um, having said that, uh, up until COVID, um, one of the great things that... Um, along with some of my colleagues did was to travel overseas and to travel to places that don't have access um, to cardiac surgery under a, an organization um, called Operation Open Heart and or now called Open Heart International. Um, but it's interesting though what you talk about in terms of, of, of that because most of us we, would, we can and do sometimes turn up with a surgeon we never worked before, a anesthetist we never worked before, you know, nurses and, and support staff, mm-hmm. everyone we've never actually worked yep. before. But within half a day, we're doing this dance that is pediatric heart surgery, which really tells uh-huh. us we do more the same collectively uh-huh. around the world than we uh-huh. do differently. Um, and sure, the nuance might not be there because of a team that's worked well together often actually doesn't need to talk as much. We don't talk to each other. We don't need uh-huh. to talk to each other. But in fact, the techniques that we use are very similar and in, are very, very much the same because they've been worked out because it's what works. If we're having this conversation yeah. you know, 70 years ago when we first started cardiac surgery, there's a lot of stuff that went on that we would never be allowed to do now because they had to go through that to work out how to do it. Yeah. 
And so um, a lot of that stuff is kind of being nailed in. They know that this is what needs to happen for certain things to, 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 to proceed. Um, and so the tech, as much as we all like to, everyone, no matter who you are, likes to feel that we offer something special or something different, the reality is that a lot of what we do is very much the same the world over. Um, and, and, and within that and and so you got to kind of remind yourself sometimes that that's the case and so what matters is that that nuance and that kind of special stuff is what makes the difference in a very small amount of cases because that's healthcare you expect to go and have if you're going to have heart surgery you expect to come out being the same as you went in in terms of who you are you expect to kind of live you expect to come out and 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 that's a reasonable expectation given the state of of, of healthcare in well-resourced areas it ain't the same around the world but um um, even then the techniques that are offered are very similar because they've been kind of worked out um, and I think that um, it's important for us all and one of the perspectives that going overseas to do this brings is exactly that is because it's it, it, you do this in a way it reminds you that in fact you kind of do a lot of it the same Okay, so I, I love this because I think there's a practical aspect to what you're talking about I see it with my partner she's a production designer and she freelances which means often She's thrown into a role in a team with a bunch of people that she doesn't necessarily yeah. have worked with. So there are certain ways a production designer operates with a team that means that they can immediately walk into that team and adapt to being part of the team. So it is an adaptation around the world for, as you said, these strangers come together to do something amazing together, like you know, to be able to work together. There needs to be some pattern to that some structure to that to work out how everybody does fit together and I, it makes sense there is some commonality to that but what I love is you've kind of blown my mind a little because I was thinking about the doctor's relationship with the patient but actually you've unlocked something that I think is even more important which is of course mostly it's a team right which means that their relationship with each other and how they work together is really what you should be concentrating on so much so it's it's so much a team sport um, and um, it, it absolutely is so important. And whether a team is working or, or, or not as a team, there's an element of stuff that can still happen because it's process-driven, it's process-based. It's a, you do this, this is what happens, and, 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 that's, and that's okay. But the special stuff happens when the team's really firing, and often that's even in emergency situations when, when like stuff's really going on that you've got to try and kind of work with that. Um, to, to get to happen um, but yeah for sure that it, it's absolutely a team thing in terms of the dynamic that happens the relationship between this to a certain extent in my world patients who've been through that process have been, and have that rapport with the surgeon and the surgeon's decided this is what needs to happen and the patients agreed to it yeah. um, we don't see that we, we, we assume it because we right. have to it's 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 true and it's real and of course that's where it is but they yeah. present to us having agreed to this process yeah. and this is what we're going to do but the team component to it is what makes the difference yeah. um, across it no one of us i mean there's a lot of stuff that we can't compensate for we we you know we can't compensate for a surgeon who has something in slightly the wrong place or or whatever and 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 we can't do that the same way that if any one of us kind of makes an makes an, an error um, a lot of the time, again, the process has worked out that those errors aren't 
huge and you know irretrievable but things happen and we're, we're human there's a human process to this um and so then how the team comes together to deal with those can then determine um outcome and what happens and and then how that happens so there's a skill set for sure but how that skill set plays into the intangibles of how the team functions especially when the when something's happening that is, is acute um and certainly in a lot of surgery that's second to second sometimes it's it's even it's not something that's drawn out over a period of time it's decisions that have to be made very quickly and then being able to respond as a team to prevent that hyper focus that happens when when you're in trouble and often you'll have someone walks up behind your shoulder and says hey what about this that and the other and you you you've missed it and 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 that's important and that's the team that's the team stuff for sure Okay, so yeah, all right. I'm fascinated by that because it's such a high pressure environment. Like, do you, because it is, you know, people's lives, you know, and these people have families and lives of their own and all the important connections that human beings have. But I imagine that you can't be thinking about any of those sort of things when you're like, you know, doing your job. You just have to think about the fact that you're doing your job. Have you done it for long enough that in the same way, some people like fear public speaking, right? I fear the idea that you know if public speaking being monetized will go away because I have no other skills. <laughs> but, sure. um, and, it, and it has for a while in the last little bit. Yeah, no, I got an insight into that. <laughs> I got an insight into how unemployable I was in every other sphere. So I was nervous about public speaking when I first started public speaking. I'm not now because I've just done it for so long that like – I mostly know how to do it. It doesn't mean there won't be, you know, situations where something unusual happens and I have to sort of kick in. But in a general sense, like this is what I do. It's like driving a car. You don't I don't have to think about driving the car anymore. I just know how to drive a car. Is it like that for your job? Yeah, can be and it should be to a certain extent. Certainly as as the team grows and as the individual as a clinician I guess grows for absolute sure it should be routine not in a bad way but things should be predictable we should know we all kind of know what's going on and to a certain extent um when it's going well and normally which is the vast majority of the time um yeah absolutely it's it's relaxed in a in a in a sense not of of neglect but of routine it's what we do as you've said it's exactly it's what we do it's our job and it's and, and that role What's interesting, though, is when things get a bit tricky or things get tough or something's happened or it's a different set of environment, um, how um, to keep the focus at a level that keeps things under control. So what I'm getting, what I'm getting at there a little bit is, is how stress, I guess, or, or, or um, um, I was going to say arousal in, term, in a, no, in a, in a sense of stress kind of happens is keeping that at a level that you can still function. Mm-hmm. And that comes with, um, uh, it's a function of a few things, the function of you as a person and who, who you are and being able to keep that in, in check. It's our training, it's our practice, it's what we do, it's it's how we manage those things. Uh, and then experience that comes with that of stopping you get into those places, but also then um, not panicking and not then losing the ability to function. And this is something to a certain extent that we have in common with um, a, a lot of different arenas it's about learning how to do it and it happens in different ways there's simulation there's practice there's um the ability okay so for- this was um th- literally was going to be my next question so i'm glad we've gone there already anyway which is 
how do you learn how to do this? Because I learned how to do my job by going to, you know, unpaid rooms in the back of pubs and telling jokes right and eventually you get good at it but yeah. i feel like the medical uh, arena is not one for experimenting in such haphazard ways so how is it that you do train and learn how to do this sure so it's different in different countries obviously yeah. um when i and also in different time frames back in my day uh, it was an undergraduate degree specifically uh, with a specialism. So it was a science degree, effectively, with a specialism in perfusion. Um, around the world now, mostly it's um, a master's degree at some level, and that then functions with it as a traineeship. So you, you, know, you, you work with a team who teach you how to do the practical stuff. Um, you then, um, uh, then also do the, um, you know, the background stuff, the educational academic component to it. And in different countries, it's different. But most of the time, you then get accredited with a with an org with a peak body with an organisation who then kind of um, says, "Yeah, you've reached a particular standard." Um, in some countries, Australia being one of them, there are anaesthetists who also perfuse and do and do what we do. Um, and um, their pathway is as a consultant anaesthetist. They then learn how to to, to do that. Um, but the vast majority of countries and certainly the vast majority of perfusion that happens in Australia and around the world is by cl- what we call clinical perfusions, which is us who specifically train to do what, what we do um, in, in a pathway that's slightly different around the world. But certainly in well-resourced countries, um, it's kind of a postgraduate degree with a traineeship that happens uh, on the pump. You, you learn how to do it with someone sat on your shoulder and as you get better at it, you work your way across the pump and eventually you're it. And, um, you know, that, that supervision moves away and, yeah. and, and then you, you've said to reach a particular level of competence, you're, you get know, your ticket and, and that can be different in different places. Is there an element of it that, I don't know, was there, is there any, ever any doubt in your mind that you're capable of doing it? Like you're being taught how to do it, like explained to you how to do it, you're going through this practical thing, but is there ever a moment in learning how to do something that you think, oh, I don't know sure. if I... Well, there's, there's two there's two parts of that I want to talk yeah. about. It's interesting you brought it up. This is two parts. The first is um, what could... Re- it, it's an application of Dunning-Kruger in the sense of performance over your ability to think you can do it. Sure. And very quickly, you think you're really good at it. You've got this, you've mm. sorted it out, you're all over it, and then you get your butt kicked. Mm. Something bad happens. And this is you, exactly like stand-up, by the I way. I have no <laughs> doubt. You turn up somewhere and you think, yeah, yeah I'm going to be all right tonight. And it's really quiet and it's not going very well. And you get your ass kicked and you realize you haven't prepped properly. You didn't know what you, you know, you didn't think it was going to go. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter where yeah. we are and who we are. It, it's always going to happen. You get your ass kicked. And, you know, um, uh, they're labelled in different ways, but that peak of man stupid, you know, you think you've got it and it's because you don't know any better. Yeah. You don't know you don't really have it yet. And then gradually you kind of, you get knocked into the valley of despair where you think, oh my God, I can't do this. This is no good. I'm going to kill someone or something bad's going to happen. And then over time you kind of work your way back up the curve, but you never reach the confidence level that you got when you first thought you had it because you know better. You know that you don't. And and I don't and I don't think that's any different to any job we do and, yeah. and, and experience and time comes. And even now you get, you know, you, you, the, the system irons out the really bad stuff, but still there are things that you happen. There might be a little technical thing that you forget or, you know, something falls off or something happens. I mean, it just happens. And you remind yourself that, in actual fact, you don't get it yet. You don't get it all, and there's always going to be a surprise around the corner. Um, and so, yeah, for sure, there is a there is a bit of that. 
the other side of that, I guess, that's interesting was for me specifically was around um, the time I spent at the children's hospital doing okay. pediatrics. Yep. Technically, one of the most um, amazing things that as a perfusionist I've ever done. Um, it's kind of a different ball game. It's a different kind of set of techniques. Uh, it's a stretch, like it's it's complicated, it's more difficult. And then you you move from adults into kids, you kind of learn that. Mm. What they don't teach you for, and the stuff that I think is that really made me question um, this is um, the different um, kind of access you then have to parents and to parents of these kids and these and these children that that are part of this. And um, and for me, that was a big turning point. Um, was having to understand that sure we can do this this kind of technique and and, and what we do and, and most of the time it goes really well it doesn't always go that well it's not always the the way and um, to a certain extent yeah okay things going wrong and death is 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 a part of what we do but you know we've done what we can we do everything we can um, but to see that happen in a pediatric arena for me was very different yeah. and, and very confronting and something that that um, there's some stuff that's happened that I still carry now um, around that. And so, um, yeah, that question wasn't about the technology or the techniques of what we do, much more about, I don't know if I can do this. And um, I did leave. I didn't leave because of that. I left for different reasons um, around that. But I think um, there's this kind of weird thing that happens where, it kind of weeds out the system, I think, especially in peds, kind of weeds out the people that just can't hack it. They just can't manage that level of of, of emotional kind of component of managing parents. And, and, and that came out wrong. I don't mean managing parents in that sense, but managing the emotions that are expressed yeah. by them and you as a human being and your empathy and, and seeing that. They're having the know. worst day of their entire life. Exactly. And you're there. And you're, you know. and that can't. But like, I mean, it'd be horrible if it. I mean, I assume that people have ways of letting it not, you know, bother them, and that I, you know, would be for protection and all those sort of things. But I just can't imagine how you would even do that. Like for me, it just like anyway. It would be. No, too, I, I it would it. be. It, it is. It's uh, too much for me. A part of a part of that particular process was we spent more time in intensive care with a, with an application of what we do called ECMO, and therefore you get to know these families yeah. and you become part of that. Of course, are, and, are, are and like I, to be honest, if, like if I'm if I'm having an operation, I don't have kids, but I, I, regardless, even with my hypothetical children, um, if I'm having an operation for myself. And I've talked to the surgeon a bunch of times. I don't need to meet the band. I know the lead singer. Sure. He seems to know what's, yeah, yeah. what he's doing. I'm going to be asleep anyway. Yeah. I don't need to know, who, you know all these names. Yeah, right? But, like, if it's your kid, like, I mean, I'm making – I'm laughing about it, but, like, the point being a serious one, if it's your kid, I know – every person in that room, what they do, how they do it, why they do it, if they're good at their fucking job and whether yep. like my mm. fucking child is going to get through this scenario. Exactly so right. I- and, and so there, there's that, that part of that I think is something that we don't train for. We, mm. um, a very good friend and colleague of mine, um, and, you know, we used to, we used to look at each other that we, we, you don't get taught this in perfusion school. Like yeah. This isn't part of it. This is life teaching you a lesson. This is this is the circumstance te- teaching you what you need to do to get to, to kind of get get through this particular set of circumstances. And I 
I guess I mean you know everyone's different in how that happens. I'm not sure there's a I'm not sure that you ever get used to it. Um, and and I certainly never wanted to get used to it. I never wanted for it not to ever have that effect. Um, and so um, yeah, do I ever think I could keep doing it? There are times around that when like no, this is just too much. This is just not right. And um, and so with that then comes changes i guess you, you think about and changes you made um and a, a real big hangover i guess from that was this sense of well it's not my kid why am i so tied up in this part of that is you spend that time you get to know right. those people and you know, it's like well but i don't have the right to feel this it's not me that's this isn't yeah, me I, you know i understand yeah. like not your and, it's not your pain or anguish and in some ways it's weird for you to be piggybacking off yeah yeah the right. back of it but then a, a a very good friend of mine who who um um uh she the family lost a baby this baby was stillborn and and we ended up talking about this one day and she said no it's different when it's you 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 give there is no reason you give permission for everyone in mm-hmm. that room to feel that with them, and then, yeah. and and she says she remembers everyone in 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 that moment, and so you suddenly have this permission. Well, what are you talking about? Of course you yeah. should. Of course you can, and of course you should. And and that was a great relief for me in a way by hearing it in in, in that way because it, it, uh, it that permission to feel that is, you know is a great you know way of looking at it, and I think incredibly helpful. You talked about the idea you don't learn this stuff in school. It's, it's occurred to me in a couple of things we've spoken about already that sometimes I think the mistake we make in school is we forget what we're meant to be teaching, like the kids, right? So we get too serious about the musical theatre and we don't let the kids have fun and we push them too hard or whatever because we think it's about creating musical theatre stars or like yes. sporting stars, sure. whereas actually – the reason you do musical theatre at school is to learn the lessons of how to work with strangers and how to do something for fun and to create something together and have a triumph or a disaster and how to recover from those things. And as long as people are learning those lessons... That's actually the important lesson. For, like, there might the person who's going to be the musical star will still be a musical star, and they'll get to learn all those other lessons. But as long as everybody else in the cast is having a good time and learning those lessons of how to, you know, perform in a team, work together, you know, like yep. stand in front of people, not get too nervous, whatever those lessons are, then great lessons have been learned. At medical school, what is like you know, but around medicine, like what is the level of what they teach you in regard to the human side of the job. Like they teach you the technical stuff. They teach you, you know, how to do it, what it is like all these sort of things, but how much of it is dedicated to the human thing of if you're going to work with pediatrics, this is going to be the experience. Do they have people come in and talk about that? Is that part of the actual education? I seem to remember someone telling me recently, it obviously it's not my world um, anymore in the yeah. sense, you know, this was a while ago. For right, me. Of course, I, I got, but- I got zero. Like yeah. some type zero. It's not part of the process. It's not part of that. What I learned um, about people dying was because they did. Yeah. And then I had to go work out what was going on and, 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 and for me in that process. And I had some very good people around me to talk about it. But it's like um, it, it's something that happens almost to a point. Yes, they care about you as a person because they see this is a thing for you. Hey, are you okay, mate? Is everything okay? How do you feel? Do you want to talk about it? And you sit around 
and then it's closed. It's done. Like an hour later, you have a good mm. chat, and and it's it's an important part of the process for sure. But it's kind of move on, do it. You know, it's done. I don't think we end up in existential kind of conversations around, you know, what it means for us as people and how we take that on board. I, I, I seem to remember talking with this about someone a little while ago who was a current medical student, and, and uh, they're going to have to correct me. You know, you might get the emails when this goes out to say how much they get, but my understanding is it's still stuff all. Yeah. Like it's still very, very little in terms of teaching that. I may be wrong, and this is obviously third-hand and what I remember. Yeah, of course. So I don't know for sure what, what goes on. Um, but a lot of it is learnt from each other and learning how to deal with that, looking to your colleagues that you trust and, and if they've been through it. And I think the positive outcomes are when you can talk to a mate, someone who knows openly, genuinely, frankly, and have those conversations about that and, and be able to kind of process that. Um, and one of the senior surgeons I've worked with in the past, um, I, I had a kind of conversation how him and a, a colleague would have these conversations after um, um, putting on that face of, is everyone okay, is everyone all right? Then they'd go and find each other, or they'd go and see each other, or they're going to have a cup of coffee or someone, whatever it was, and actually really talk about it because they didn't feel as the kind of the the, the leader of the team or the top mm. of that team that they could show that human, that weakness, or not weakness, but because no, no. it's not weakness the, at perce- all. A, a perceived weakness. A perceived weakness yeah. of, of, of that, of being able to be part of that. And, um, and so sensitivity is not a weakness. Like, and, and that's something I think that we're taught early or some of us are taught early in terms of, of, of our life, both parenting and in school, uh, you know, that, that, that sensitivity to these, to feeling stuff mm-hmm. is not a weakness. In fact, it's a, it, it's, it's a superpower. It's what makes us who we are. And it's an important part of that, but suppressing that, feeling that I shouldn't be fit like I did shouldn't be feeling this because because it's not my kid or it's not my family or it's not me or it's not that or um suppressing the feeling that you've that you've had a hand in something that's not worked out very well um is kind of no different to um you know I'm scared to go up like my you know I'm scared to go upstairs oh don't be silly everything's fine well again you've just been told that hey your feeling's not okay it's very much not the case. Sensitivity yeah. is 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 not a bad thing, um, and so um, that shift in culture around that I think is going to be a long time coming, and and how it happens. And sure, not everyone needs it, not everyone wants it, but having it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. A good um, a good area for this podcast because you know that that's all this is about is hopefully opening up some of those conversations and they're saying saying they're okay to have and i think hopefully seeing the value of them like you know i could not agree with you more like it's so nice i mean we didn't know each other before this other than a few you know exchange messages this is going great <laughs> like I'm, I'm having a ball like I, we haven't even got to the reason this is happening like you That's know we'll, we'll get to the end of that yeah, at, yeah. at some stage but i'm just I'm loving all of this there's so much great stuff here and i think that you're touching on a whole bunch of themes that i'm really interested in talking about but i always like to ask people on the show if they have a particular life philosophy and i realized we we're already like more than half an hour in so <laughs> I, I thought i should roll it out it felt like a good time to ask do you have like a life philosophy of some kind yeah it's all about the feels it's all about what it feels like uh-huh. and and listen to it 
and and but that, I guess that's a recent thing to a certain extent of, of so yeah okay so where, how did you come about thinking that then was there a change or was it something that you were searching for was there a specific thing was it a gradual process yeah I think um, so over the last couple of years there's various things that have happened um, in in my life um, that have led to this um, from relationships and out of respect for the people involved yeah. we probably don't no, want to no, there. no details. But yeah yeah, yeah. Um, um, and how that's left me led me on a journey to to understand why a set of things be it work home life kids this whole thing has mm. happened um, that led me to um, a very I don't want to say dark place, but to a very difficult time uh-huh. um, in terms of my own mental health and what happened. And look, in common with, I think, a lot of people, given the current circumstances, there's a lot of that going on, and quite rightly. But then understanding how that actually came about, what those unmet needs were that led led to all of this, uh-huh. and how where that come where that comes from, um, I guess made me then accept that it is all about the feels mm. for me, um, and. Um, understanding that has been a great kind of step for me and that's come quite late like i've always known that for me um even you know growing up as a teenager i you know like emotions um i i used to say this it's not something i use now but i used to say that i see emotions like colors i see feelings like colors Mm. as easy as other people see colors i I kind of see people in that and that ability to and it's not a learnt thing. It's not something that you, you just do. You just feel it and you, and you get it and it, mm. and it shows. Um, and then how that kind of plays out in the real world, but also then how that plays out in all of this thing because it's like, you know, you, 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 the empathy that grows from that, um, you tend to own it. You own those feelings as your own when they're not actually yours. And then understanding how that kind of grows into de- to de- kind of determining who you are and, and how that works then um, – and how that gets suppressed in the life that we have um, uh, and then how that plays out. And then I guess just accepting that now, having been through all of that, you get to the point where it's all about the feels. It's all about how it feels. Um, And accepting that as normal, accepting that as as appropriate and and, um, actually something that helps you in life and isn't, doesn't actually make things worse doesn't make it difficult that you that you're sensitive to stuff you know so how do you i mean i think the greatest difficulty that anybody ever has with that like it's a good concept um but the greatest difficulty with the practicality of a concept like that is knowing how to trust your own feelings you know because feelings are often instinct you know like this i mean the science behind the you know the power of instinct you know um but Often, you know, I have a something that is like, if I was going to say to you that I'm trusting my feelings, I have something that I've always felt particularly cursed by. Immediately when I first meet somebody, it's almost like I can read their vulnerabilities. Hmm. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, I just have that, however my brain is wired, I get an innate sense of whatever somebody is vulnerable about. And the yep. last thing that I would ever want to do is the worst times ever in my life is when I've just given into that and like used my instinct for what somebody's vulnerable about to hurt them, yep. right? But most of the time, I feel like I'm a black belt karate guy who doesn't want to get into a bar fight. Like I see it, and then I do everything in my power to never kind of go there. But then it often, 
I feel like that might be a war between proper emotional connection with somebody because if you're not, yeah, like you mean, like if I'm, so the feels get complicated for me in that sure. situation. Do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. And that, and that vol- allowing that that kind of feeling and that being able to see that almost comes with a with a um, a, a mantra which is you use it for good, mm. not. You know, I'm going to say evil, but yeah, not, no, no, not, I, not I, bad in terms of what I you're agree. talking about. Um, but there needs to be accountability for it. So sensitivity is one thing, and, and being and, and having those sensitivities and having those abilities or or or, or, um, uh, or sensitivities, it comes. It, it means nothing if there's no accountability for what mm-hmm. you're going to use with it. Right. So um, you're not saying if it feels good, do it. Not at all. It's because that's that's useless. It, mm. There's got to be this accountability for using it and how you use it, um, because otherwise it becomes about you, uh-huh. <laughs> effectively. Yeah. I feel you know? good. Yeah, I feel and, good and stuff. And stuff everyone. Yeah, else. I don't care about. I'm not taking into account in when I say it's about the feels. Anybody else's feels. It is purely just my feels. Yep. Yeah. And how you and and then understanding and accepting how those people those people's uh-huh. vulnerabilities that you're talking about, um, and then not using them but accepting them. But then we there's a tendency then to make to take them on as your own. You feel uh-huh. those vulnerabilities yeah. and. And that can be overwhelming sometimes, and especially in circumstances that are particularly difficult for someone. That's a good uh, level of insight. Like, I mean, I think that what you've said there makes a, a lot of sense. Um, is that a level of insight that you've come to learn from just examining yourself? Has it come from conversations with friends? Has there been like professional people involved? I'm not trying to pry. No, I'm just trying sure. to like, it's a good level of insight. Is it that just naturally, but, you know, like how you think about the world or is that some a position that you came to? No, it's an umbrella statement over something that I found through the work of a, a couple, actually a lady called Elaine Aaron, who, um, um, a good few years ago now, and she's written a lot about it since, described something called a highly sensitive person. Uh-huh. Um, and it came from her experience in, um, in going to hospital and how she um, felt around that. And there's since been a whole heap of work. And it describes what is about 20% of the population who have sensitivities to certain things that um, um, are different perhaps mm-hmm. to the other 80%. Yeah. And that is, and there's a list of them, and you can go look this up. Sure. There's a whole raft of it, but there's a big list of them around, and it can be sensitivity to um, noise. Like it can be sensitivity to drugs, alcohol, um, caffeine. Um, they um, see, they look for a deeper meaning in life and a deeper understanding mm-hmm. in, of life. And this isn't necessarily a learned thing. This is an mm. intrinsic personality trait that that you're born with, you know, that's part of, of, of who you are. And it's very well described. And about 30% of those people are, 30% of the 20% are actually extroverts. So it's not about being introverts, not about running away from those circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a few examples around, like, very happy and to a certain extent, like you are, to stand up in front of a whole heap of people and talk about what I know about. I'm not uh-huh. going to stand up and do stand up, but I'm going to stand up and talk about what I know about. But put me put me in a room of a couple hundred people that I'm just there to mingle with uh-huh. or to make small talk with. Yeah. Drives me nuts. I find that incredibly difficult and very very hard to do, um, um, because it's 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 kind of all superficial. 
Mm-hmm. It's all about it's all kind of you know about small talk. Mm-hmm. Don't give me small talk. Give me meaning. Give me depth. Give me mm-hmm. something that we can really get and get you into. You know what you should do? Is start know? a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so. Yeah, it's been talked about. Um, but I don't claim to understand. I don't claim to have a deeper sense of, of all of this in, in the grand scheme. It just this is what relates to me and how I look at it. But when you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. And you realize that a lot of decisions, a lot of things that have happened in my life have been due to the fact that um, I've been told I'm too sensitive. I've been, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that um the fact that i might stand and look at a sunrise and go and be emotionally moved by that sunrise mm-hmm. whereas other oh yeah it's really pretty all right can we move on like yeah. it's, it's it's a little bit different and it's not yeah. better or worse it's just different mm-hmm. and a lot of the I time i can make an argument that it's better but sure let's go with different you're saying that it's different you shouldn't say that it's better but there's a part of me that immediately thinks are you highly sensitive or is like 80% of the population fucking is there something wrong with them because we live in a world where the the only natural reaction you, by the way I am not the person staring at the sunrise like having an emotional reaction yeah. I am the person who fucking should be like what else am I <laughs> sure. doing I'm looking at my fucking phone or something I'm on yeah, Twitter or like sure. whatever like I'm doing something else like I think the, I mean I have a lot of highly sensitive people like I think who would definitely fit the without having to look it up I know sure. I know exactly what you're talking about and there's a lot there's of a creative people whole bunch of, of them in my yeah. life in a general sense and you just see them sometimes it can make your life very hard that's what I would say is like because the world is not set up for I mean, it's the famous saying, of course, you know, the, the standard that you're willing to walk past is the standard you accept. And for people who are like more in tune with that, you know, who see these things, it can actually be quite often a burden, I imagine, that like, you know, that the weight of things is upon you while everybody else doesn't need, seem to have that weight on their back in whatever regard that might be, whether they can just look at a sun, sunrise and get on with the rest of their day and suddenly you've got to have half an hour because, you know, like you were so in tune with that. I'm yeah. not suggesting necessarily that's no, the case. No, I understand. But, it's, just, it's just one example of, yeah. uh, of, of that, I guess. But I, I think um, it's uh, there's a bit of this that I guess that's we, we haven't touched on yet, which is that's fine. This is an innate sense of, of who we are but then uh-huh. there's how life has fucked you up yeah. and how those two play out and that can be parenting world trauma uh-huh. you know any number of of things uh-huh. that then layer over right. the you know the, the the intrinsic nature of who we are as people yeah and so then the two playing together then mm. come out with this um, this idea or this this thought then of, you, of your intellectual ability to meld the two yep. and to break down this feeling that can often, that a lot of time ends up in anxiety because yeah. like you're not getting your needs met. You're told that this isn't okay. How you're feeling isn't okay. Would mm-hmm. um, love my parents to bit to bits, but that's, that's yeah. the, le- that, that's the nature of how, of, of how um, you're brought up and how, and how it happens. And then, Fighting and fighting with that sense of of who you know who you think you are, but being told that it's wrong, but then at some point having a moment, and a lot of the time that's because you 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 hit rock bottom. And mm-hmm. for me, that was um, quite openly that was me sat on my bathroom floor vomiting um, because I had to go to work. Yeah. Uh, at the end of this, for me, that was the lowest that it got. 
for for me and and really just not understanding what the hell was going on and why I was here. The advantage of feeling that you have these sensitivities is you then go look for that deeper meaning. Yeah. You go find that detail, that stuff that that create that is this and go look for why. Why, 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 why all the time and keep chipping away. You don't just accept it. You don't just go reach for the meds. You don't go to your GP and go, hey, give me the stuff. You go looking for the difference. You go looking for for the the, the deeper meaning of why you're here. And for me, that led to this rapper that works very well for me. And it's changed how I parent. It's changed how I relate to people. It stopped me people pleasing. That was because that's one of the things that comes out. Because, um, you know, it, simply it's a sense of um, you're not good enough because you can't be yourself. Mm-hmm. You're brought up that way, therefore you have to buy in yeah. one way or another people to like you. Yeah. Um, and then, so if that's the case, and you're going to buy people to like you, you people please. You say yes yeah. when you shouldn't. You got to start saying no. You got to, you know, this sense of being true to yourself and authentic. But also, you're not getting back in return what you should be getting from people because you think that all your relationships your friendships and relationships are based on a transactional nature so like you kind of like you you, you're losing out on both ends which it's it's such a horrible position to be in yeah but it's also a position that i think a lot of people are in but yeah this rapper then allows you a way to understand it accept it but it can also it can it's very often cathartic too um because you realize and you've got to deal with with a lot of this and and then put the boundaries in place for people who will naturally take on take advantage of that yeah. type of, of of person and 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 what that is and so there needs to be accountability this is where we got i think it's what we touched on a little while ago mm. so it's all very well having this insight if you like or this kind yeah. of change and this part of that and you go oh yeah great i know what it is now mm-hmm. and therefore um you know you you uh, you know, you have those boundaries, but that accountability is such an important part of, of of this process because it keeps you human, it keeps you who you are, and brings you back to to, to being a person, and brings you back to that. Um, you forget the accountability, or you never had the accountability, or you don't need the accountability because of your place in the world, if you like. Yep. And then okay, but you walk your own path with that. And if it's your, if it's that path that you want, great, go for it. It's your life. You get to do yeah. that. But then you lose that ability then to relate with all of this and understand just to listen sometimes. Yeah, it's cool. I really like. It makes a lot of sense. I you know I can see it around me i can see it in my world i can see those patterns played out and i can imagine what it's like it's good to know like it's good to feel that you've kind of come to this place where you have that insight into what's going on and have like some at least some you know the capacity to be able to see it from that perspective to talk about it to articulate it in this way to understand it a little bit more and i don't feel like i'm any good at it yet like there's a so much more yeah. to go to go do and to go be able to 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 do it but i guess i guess it's like a lot of things like crossfit you don't yeah. need to ask anyone because you don't need to ask anyone what yeah. they do because they'll tell you they'll tell you like and, and again that's the accountability of understanding that this is a process but also right. then you know um um, just because you've got it doesn't mean you need to talk about it, you know, because it's new and it's good to you. But, you know, having the intellectual ability to understand that there's this whole confirmation bias that we're all prone to of only seeing things that fit this current model that we're working on. Yeah. Um, 
And so, again, not being at the peak of Mount Stupid, it's 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 having that understanding that, yes, some of it works, most of it fits, but yeah. having the integrity when it doesn't fit to still take that on as well. Well, I guess what we're talking about here, it's funny, I had a, a wonderful conversation the other day with a guy called, uh, in fact, pr- people probably won't have, they'll hear this before they hear that. Yeah. So in the future, I'm going to have a wonderful <laughs> conversation with a guy called Owen Eastwood, who is a... Uh, performance coach essentially and he's worked with he's currently working with the british olympians like but he's worked with you know the south african cricket team the all blacks like you know all these amazing things but he talks a lot about the connection that we have as human beings and like what a lot of what he teaches the teams is about you know that it's about their tribe and how their tribe comes together and that it used to be in professional sport about everybody having to adapt it to the rules of the tribe. Whereas the most successful sporting teams now are the ones that can see that the person who is super tall is a strength as much as the person who is super quick, as much as the person who is like, you know, able to shoot from the other end of the court. But you know what? The person from the other end of the court, he doesn't like to be yelled at. Like he, he, that's not how you're going to get him to shoot hoops from the other end of the court. The the big guy, oh, you've got to yell at him all the time. That's the only thing he'll ever yeah. fucking respond to. Like, and we're going to find a way to get them all to work together because there is no one way for people to be. We just have to find better ways to understand, you know, everybody, so that yeah. we can all kind of have a human existence. Yep, no, for sure, and it's the same. I think in any team that works, I mean, it's traditionally the captain of the ship in an operating theatre is the surgeon yelling at everyone to get stuff to happen. And, of course, most of the time performance goes down when that happens and having the ability to to speak up and to talk and to and to say what you need to say and not be scared of saying that. I spoke at a conference a few weeks ago um, who and the title of it or the theme was it was called Rising to the Challenge. Uh. And this was a um, a, an operating theatre nurses conference. And um, I thought about it and um, in the process, in the lead up, I was talking to to, to, um, Nicole, my friend and and colleague at work. She's like, well, why isn't it the challenge? What are we going to do? And she says, well, you've never sung at one of these things. I'm like, well, yeah, it doesn't mean I should. Um, and we got, we kind of went through that. I mean, got, are you in practice would be my first question. Like, no, have you kept up the singing? No, no. Only only drunk karaoke. Which, yeah, okay. You know, um, although I want to go back to it. I, just, I did talk about going back to it. Anyway, the point of this conference was rising to the challenge. And I asked, everyone's put their hand up. And I said, right, keep your hand up if you always feel safe saying what you need to say in an operating room. Mm. And... It's still it's different now, but most of the hands went down. It's a loaded question. It was a bad question to get a response that I yeah. needed to kind of get get the get the narrative to work. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it still happens. Not everyone's going to feel safe, um, and I don't mean physically, but emotionally, just to kind of sit up and go, "Hey, what's that? Or what's going on over there?" It doesn't mean you're right. It doesn't mean you have to be bullshit about it. But not everyone has that capacity to to kind of no. Stick I hand mean, up, right? like this is I. Um, in the current day, it'll be announced soon, but it's still kind of a secret. So um, I'm putting together a new team for something. Okay. That's that's all that, yeah, yeah. that people need to know for the sake of this story. Sure. And we're trying to work out the schedule and, you know, like how much – it's my project, but then, you know, once you have a project, then, like, you employ a whole bunch of people to help you make it into an actual project. And so we're putting that team together at the yep. moment. and. 
you know, you start to talk about, you know, what meetings that, you know, you need to be in, blah, blah, blah. And one of the big conversations we have is always around the idea of there has to be meetings that I am not in and that is not for me. That is for the people who don't feel that it is their role to speak when I'm in the room. Like who all have great ideas and things to collaborate to the project. Sometimes like... It wouldn't. I could sit in that meeting a million times and ask them to say something. They wouldn't say it because I'm there. Yep. The thing that I can Got do it. for them yeah, yeah. is not be there. Like the, the, and that is, I think, a level of understanding of I have of what the team needs now individually yep. yeah, like yeah. to do their job yeah. is sometimes what they need is not me. <laughs> yep. But it is like, I mean, I know that's a, a side example of what you're talking about, but it is this no, idea it's of... the same thing. Yeah, 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 right? There's a, yeah, I mean, there's a... And it's a personality thing. It's a stress thing, and it's and it's it's part of that. But um, I don't think it's that dissimilar. I think um, it's changed, and there's this whole movement now to, to 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 shift that. And certainly, a lot of the a lot of the guys um, I know work with don't centralise decision making in in extreme circumstances. It's about everyone. It's the every, we all have a we all have a tendency. If you the the leader or the boss or the or whatever version of that that that, that exists, when the shit it's the fan. You want to centralize that decision making, but you're making decisions on the shit information that people who want you to make that decision are feeding you, which mm. isn't always completely either complete or or true or real. Um, and you're making decisions on crap information when it's that decentralized decision making right. that actually matters when you're in the shit. It's like, what do you need me yeah. to do right now to help you get through this situation? Yeah. Um, and in my world, that's extreme. And certainly when we're overseas doing stuff in in, 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 in different low resource areas, like shit happens. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes down and, and to trust that. And one day we were on bypass cold. It was just one of those things. The power power goes off, mm-hmm. which happens fairly regularly. But you know the, the generator's supposed to kick in, and it didn't. And um, a long story short, I spent a good forty five minutes fending off instructions from the surgeon who I was trying to get to finish the operation about how we were going to handle what we were doing. Um, another surgeon I worked with would have just turned around and said, "What do you need?" To which the answer is, "Get us out of here." Like, just we'll manage it for now. We don't need anything. We'll manage what we need to do to keep the patient safe, but we just need you to get out of this heart so we right. can, like, get out of here. Instead, what I was copying was fending off being told what to do by someone who didn't really understand yeah. exactly what was required at the time that was preventing them actually doing what we needed them to do, which is just to get a, get on with it yeah. and get us and get us out of it. Everything was fine, but it, it worked out. Um, and that centralised decision-making in those situations, to a certain extent, is is you know part of that i guess in your situation where you're stepping out of the room do you feel you'll get that you'll get the information you need and you'll get what what happens through the team to get to yeah, happen that exactly. will end up with you gets, in, in gets, the end anyway right that's so right yeah. you're gonna no. hear about it oh yeah i'm gonna hear about it it'll just go through somebody they're yeah. more comfortable to talk in front of yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. but and then that person who's more comfortable with me will pass it on sure. to me yeah, it'll yeah. be fine but um I, I just think the nature of how we work in teams is something i'm super fascinated about and you know particularly in this world that we now live in where we do have an increased understanding that not everybody you know needs the same things like I look back on so many of the I mean not so many because I haven't had so many but the few you know bad or uncomfortable relationships that I've had with people that I've worked Mm -hmm. with over the years and almost all of them in fact I'm I'm gonna without running through them all in my head I'm gonna say all of them Mm -hmm. 
are probably just based on the fact that there were a couple of people working in a circumstance who both just needed to be treated in different ways. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I needed to be treated in a different way and the people I was dealing with also needed something different from me that I wasn't being sensitive to or aware of, you know, because I was too caught up in the way that they were, you know, treating me. Like, I, th- I think there is, you know... But then we've come full circle back to unmet needs. Right. Be it as a human being or be it in a team, your needs... Yeah. In, you know, in a, My needs weren't met, but in return, you then were, I wasn't meeting their needs. You were saying, fuck yeah. you, stuff exactly. you to everyone else. <laughs> and going, well, I'm, I'm not getting what I want, yeah. so I'm not giving you what I know you need because yeah. you see their vulnerabilities yeah. that you've already said. It is so, actually funny you know, because they, I was eventually one of these situations was resolved. I was at therapy and the issue at the heart of it was that they... I was doing my job very competently, but they were requiring a level of me, um, like liking them, like, you know what I mean? Just like liking them more than I actually liked them. And that was actually at the core of this problem. It wasn't that I wasn't meeting the needs of the job. I just wasn't liking them as much as, because I didn't really like, like them as much. And my therapist just said, but it was causing me issues. Right. And so my therapist was like, have you just tried pretending that you like them? And I was like, I can do that. She's like, yeah, Yeah. definitely go in, try it tomorrow. And I I pretended that I liked them (laughs) and it solved the entire fucking problem and everything was fine. Cause they stopped doing the things that annoyed me. There's a guy, there's a guy Sonic on, on, on the web. And this is an example I use in some yeah. of the stuff that when I talk about this, um, and, and, I, and I can't give you the exact reference yeah. and, and it's not my, this isn't my stuff, but it's mm. an interesting idea. And he talks about SEAL, SEAL Team 6 is the highest performing team on the planet um, and looks at the difference between trust and performance. And the idea that we can measure performance, we can measure whether you do a job, whether you do it well, whether you know there are metrics for that. It can be in sales, it can be in business. There are there are you hit your number, you hit your targets, you hit whatever it is, you hit your dates or whatever part of that is. But we don't measure. We can't measure trust. It's an intangible. We get that. We can't measure how. You know, his his words were. I think. You know, do I trust you with my money and my wife? Mm. And and it's that sense of it. And SEAL Team Six would actually have someone that they trust less, so that performs less, but that they mm. totally trust, trust yeah. rather than someone who performs perfectly on the battlefield. Um, but you know, you don't want him to come home and meet meet your missus, right? And then. He says, and this is this for me again is pivotal. He said, well, yeah, we can't measure trust, but you go to any team anywhere on the planet and you just ask them, who's the arsehole? All of them will look at each other and go, oh, yeah, we know who it is. Yeah. Therefore, they know who that person is that they don't trust and they don't get it. And that trust grows from stories, from all of that stuff we do, you know. How do you learn to trust someone? We trust them. Some of us would start from from the point of trust until you stuff it up or until it goes away. But um, that trust that comes from it, um, from telling stories, from time, from being, you know, having that rapport, from being around that person, being liked in your cases, you know, in this particular example you're using, you know, they needed to be liked. Well, that might be needed to be trusted by you, and maybe you didn't. Maybe they're picking up. I don't know. But yeah. this is no. What I'm I mean, at, I, 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 that's exactly what it was. It was like they they wanted me to say that I trusted them when I didn't actually really trust yeah. them. 
<laughs> that's exactly what it For was. Sure. Like, and so, and so then I just kind of pretended work. that I trusted them and did my job, and it, it all worked out fine because I yeah. just did what I wanted to do because I still did not trust them. Well, whether it's teams of two, whether it's teams of two, whether it's still team six, whether it's an operating theater, whatever it is, you can be doing your job, but that team for it to yeah. perform, there needs to be this level of trust in this space yeah i agree um hey uh we've got to start finishing uh it takes a little while for me to you know turn the ship around so we've got to start um uh we've obviously talked a lot about you know death and you know uh but you you know that i always ask people what happened what what do they think happens when you die have you have you thought about that do you have a position on what happens when we die um when I when I first kind of which we haven't actually talked about yet, no, so we'll, get, we'll get there at the end. What I've decided, I was going to leap <laughs> in at the start of like why we were doing this, but then what I realised is as this conversation unfolded was this stands on its own. It doesn't need to be for a reason. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. can reveal at the end yeah, yeah. what the reason is, but. I hope that just people can listen to this without prejudice. You know what I mean? Like we haven't started with what the reason is. We've started with this really interesting conversation about you and your life and what you do and mm-hmm. what your perspective on all that is. So I will reveal, yeah, we'll, we'll add the end. stick around for the end. There is a reason. But When, when I realized this was going to happen, let's, yeah. let's do it that way. Right? Yeah. When I realized this, this was going to happen, I kind of went through the back catalog on the, on the phone and yeah. kind of went, oh, <laughs> what the fuck have I done? You know, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> like this seemed like a really good idea until I looked. And you know what? One of my favorite things, by the way, is that um, often somebody will come on the show and they'll be like, I've listened to the show. Mm-hmm. And I, it becomes very apparent when I get to this part of the show that they'd listened to the first bit of the show sure. and they hadn't made it to the end where I start asking yeah, them about yeah, yeah. death. But th- that's what I do. So um, I, again, I can't, I can't claim this, but yeah. you remember what it was like before you were born? Mm-hmm. That's what it's like when you're dead. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the process is not mm-hmm. a moment. The process, because I've yeah. seen it, is over a period of time, but it's the same as it is before yeah. you were born, is what happens when you're dead. Yeah. What, what's left in the world is the intangibles of people that remember you. And, um, you know, um, Lin-Manuel was read, you know, he's going to, he lives or dies, he tells your story. And fundamentally, that's what's left of you is what's left in everyone else. Um, for for me, so you know, it's the nothing is the answer. Yeah, I heard somebody say the other day. They said uh, it's very similar to the you know what we were before we are again, which is the idea that um, you know if you think of like bottling some air beforehand it was just air and then while we're alive that air is just in a bottle and then like the bottle goes away and the air just goes back yep. into being air again i quite yep. like that one i thought yep. that was nice um do you think about it like it, it we're in this journey of being like you know understanding like you know what motivates you and how your sensitivities you know play into that like is death something that enters into those thoughts part of the journey has been me i got sick a little while ago um, and a sense brought home a real sense of mortality. I have small kids, smaller kids. They're mm. currently five and eight, and um, the closest I've come to feeling like maybe um, um, this is going to be a thing. Um, and so I think about it not from my point of view, mm-hmm. but I'm scared of how they're going to feel if it happens, uh, yeah. if it happens at all at any time. I mean, will, yeah. but in the sense of when it happens in their life, um, and th- th- I, I fear them having to go through it. Yeah. Um, uh, this might be a good question because I think that um, you know, as much as I kind of feel like. 
I've learned about what it is you do. I'm not sure that we've explored the 20 like hospitals, the way that that kind of is working now. And is there like innovations? Cause it felt like when you were talking about the idea of being able to reuse our own blood and being able to like, you know, do this on a, you know, bigger basis now, is there an innovation side to what you do as well as a practical side? I think that's what we haven't explored. Sure. The innovation is in how we do it and yeah. taking it away from a hospital based service um, and offering it where it's needed not just where it's available. Yeah. Um, and the technology is not particularly new in the sense of the innovation uh-huh. of the stuff, but how we apply it. Yeah, and the, the applications, ability, yeah. The ability of how we apply mm. it or the, the ability we have to apply it really to any any patient anywhere in the, in yeah. the country technically, but you know, effectively in the state, um, mm. to be able to take it to those places that don't have it mm. um, and hopefully be able to kind of spread that um um, spread that ability, I guess, is the is the is the innovation from that point of view. Taking is, it away. is now is the it's interesting. What is the appeal of it? Because like to me, this this is a joke, by the way. But like, I, I'd be glad to get rid of my shit blood. <laughs> I want some good. I'm, I'm going to do the lottery that I might get some good blood from someone else. Sure. But are we talking in a practical sense that it saves those blood stocks? Is that what it's about? Or is it about a person just wanting to have their own blood? Is there a practical reason why someone's own blood is better than like other, like what is the reasoning behind it? Sure. There are many, yeah, there are many specific medical reasons why you don't want the blood transfusion unless you need it. I'm not anti-blood transfusion as a team. We're not anti-blood transfusion. We just want to only apply that that technique of getting someone else's blood when you need it. And that is when you're bleeding, Mm -hmm. Um, trauma, blood will save your life. What we want to get away from is the um, one or two units that you need because you're in a situation that you um, need that blood because there's a Mm trade-off. You're getting someone else's tissue and there's many things, um, depending on where you are in the world, that can do that. Most of the time people think about uh, you're going to catch something, you're going to catch something nasty, HIV, hepatitis, mm-hmm. and the biggies. The reality is the testing in, um, in, in the resourced areas means that it's a very, very rare up to non kind of occurrence. Um, but there are many other things that, are, um, um, that can happen because you get someone else's blood. In Australia, the biggest risk of getting blood is you're going to get the wrong one. They're going to get blood that's not meant mm-hmm. for you, and if you've got your own blood in a in a form that you can use to do that, you obviate that mm-hmm. that particular problem. Um, and there are uh, there's a lot of research that looks at um, when you get that blood, how you get it, um, and also then. Um, there are issues around how your immune system responds to that blood that you mm-hmm. get because it's someone else's. Um, that mean that unless you really need it, you don't want it. And this is a way, another step in the process that keeps you away from needing that donor blood, which we do need to keep for those patients that absolutely need it and should need it and for whom it will save their life because the risk benefit changes. Um, And so, yes, it's about keeping the stocks for people that need it, but it's also about keeping any given patient, keeping you having that surgery in a good a state as possible by not getting someone else's blood. Um, and so um, the process is that sometimes we, we're in a situation where we get a lot and we save them from a big transfusion, maybe that we just keep them a little bit away from those triggers where they're going to need blood. But every it's another step in the process that tries to keep them away from getting um, donor blood 
um, and the problems that that will bring because you're getting someone else's tissue and understanding where that risk benefit changes is part of the science and part of the problem. But the idea is that we can give it back in a way that is um, still safer and still in a form that's better than getting someone else's blood if you don't need it. Um, so let's explain how this happened. So uh, do you remember why we are doing this? Like, I mean, do you remember why it is that you decided? I should, well, I'll explain the first bit, which is the, the ASRC. Uh, ASRC, yeah, it's Asylum Seeker Resource yeah. Centre. I thought I'd just mix that around in my head for a second. Um, we're doing uh, their the annual fundraiser, which is coming up. That's how long it's taken yeah. us. Some things got in the way, but I'm glad that it's happened. And uh, I put up as an auction item, you know, the opportunity to, you know, come yep. on this podcast and have a conversation yep. and talk about life and – you were the winning bid. It was a considerable and very generous amount of money that went to the ASRC. So were you looking to donate some money to them at the time? Regardless, why did you decide to? Because I know that that prize, when I offered it, I wasn't even sure necessarily if it was something that somebody would take up because I don't know. Does this have value? Like, have you felt like it has had value to you? Have you enjoyed this? It's had value to me as an individual. Like, I've this push of, hey, yeah, yeah, let's let's go sit with Will Anderson and talk, you know, and do the philosophy podcast. Is like, yeah, okay. Like, there's a process through that as well. Like I said, when I first. It all kind of happened. I'll tell you why it happened in a sec. Um, when it all first thing happened, I went through the back catalogue and I'm like, Tim Minchin, Todd Sampson. And I'm like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> Holy shit, I am so in trouble. And and then I'm like, well, actually, it's actually Will who's been brave because like, he doesn't know who the hell he's going to get. He can get anyone. And then he's got to try and put this podcast together around them to kind of make it make it work. And in fact, you know, I'm going to turn up and, and it's Will with the problem, not me. I've just got to sit and talk and, you know, this is what's going to happen. Um, and so, um, you know, that's kind of how that side of it happened. But in terms of um, the, the benefit, it's very much about um, the challenge of it. And saying, yeah, okay, let's 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 do it. What's the worst that's going to happen is that no one hears it fundamentally. Is what's going to happen is no one hears it. Um, so, um, you know that that's part of it. Um, I think I enjoyed the opportunity to talk about some stuff that I've been trying to get my own head around and be mm-hmm. able to articulate it in a way that kind of makes sense to someone listening to it. Um, and it's been a pleasure to meet you from that point of view. And I think that's 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 kind of. The benefit from that point of view, um, you know, and that's kind of where I'm at with it. You know, good. Um, yeah. Well, I'm happy. That feels like enough to me. Sure. I feel like, well, you know, the let, let's be honest. It was about the asylum seekers <laughs> first was. and foremost. It was. This, is, this has been a lovely added bonus on top, but I yeah. think we did the right thing. Um, I have three final questions that sure. I ask of everybody. So uh, the first one is actually a newish one. It's only been in the roster for the last sort of ten or twenty episodes, but um, it might even be here on this desk. <laughs> Normally, I say this, um, but I'm actually in my office in my other house and I'm actually lying about the fact that it is on the desk in front of me but you are here and you can actually see that this is true it is a piece of metal that I have on my desk it's pretty simple and it just says what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail and it's just meant to remind me you know to to try to not let you know the idea of whether something will be successful or otherwise interfere with what it is that I'm trying to 
create. And so I ask you, I twist it a little when I ask it, but this is how I ask it just to simplify it a little, which is if you were guaranteed of success, what would you attempt? Be authentic to me. Yeah. Be authentic to who I am for me and my family and my friends. Yeah. And really understand what that is. Um, and, and to not layer that with all this other stuff that I've kind of turned up with uh-huh. um and, and just I, trust that just just trust that they like to be around me and they want to be around me and they want to be part of this life mm-hmm. for me it's a good answer i like it um if you could have any skill in the world don't have to do your ten thousand hours you just wake up one day and you automatically have this skill what what skill would you like i would it's a bit vacuous, I suppose. But you're I mean, allowed to have a vacuous one. Yeah, you've, been, you've, yeah. you've been good, but like, <laughs> like you can have a vacuous one. I like a vacuous one. No, I, I, I want to sing still. I want yeah. to be able to get that back. What and would you like to sing? Is it musical theatre, or would you like to sing pop or rock, or like what would be your <laughs> like? You, you wake up one day because this is you know dream scenario. So, sure. what style of music? Yeah, what would you like to do? Musical theatre. Yeah. This is that kind of. It's where I came from. It's what I love. It's mm-hmm. what I used to listen to and what I sing in the car with. Um, but the ability to be able to actually do it. Like yeah. and to do it to it to a level or or a skill set where people actually want to come listen yeah. to it, I think is 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 the thing for me. Like I love I love the feeling. I remember the feeling of it. I love yeah. the feeling of it, and I remember that sense of connection with a whole heap of strangers sat there that that you get from it. And I'd love to be able to do that. Dream role. Like you know, um, again, yeah. you, you wake up one day, you can sing beautifully, you get to play your dream role. What would it be? Oh, that's a question. I don't know. Um, um, I don't know. Uh, I would love to seeing Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, good. Good solid choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Final question. I have a time machine. You can go forward in time to the future. You can go back in time. Happy with that. You can affect something. You can try to change something. You can give yourself some advice. You can ignore yourself completely. Yeah. Um, it is your trip, your trip only. Uh, it has to be your return trip. I need the machine back yep. in this hypothetical situation. I want to take a friend back to either mine or their timeline and have them watch again. Just watch. Yeah. Just see, just just be able to share that history uh-huh. in a much real, more real, true sense than talking about it. Right. That's that that's that's mine. That's yeah. To be able Absur- to get back and, that's a really good. Know. I love that. So the idea of being able to revisit a friendship, like, but with the experience of knowing. Yeah you know what that friendship has become the context of that it's yeah. funny it's actually uh, have you seen the movie tenet yeah yeah so yeah, there yeah. is an aspect of that sure. there is a character in that who who has an aspect of yeah. that that exact scenario and it is a really interesting um interesting interesting answer thank you so much for doing this i love this i think people are going to really dig Thanks, this um it, it, it look i always ask people if they have things to plug do you have something to plug is there anything that we can you know is there anything that you want to plug you don't you don't i mean that's normally what i ask people so no i think if anyone's got been been caught by what i've talked about with blood and what, what we do australian blood management hit, hit the web come see what we're up to come ask the questions um but it's not about business it's just about trying to say hey look this is what we do and 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 you know i'd love for people to come see more of what we do thank you